Hello folks, big news, we now have a Patreon, so for 5, 7 or £10 you can support us and get some audio commentaries, early access to podcast episodes, um, a monthly Q&A and everything in between there. So go over to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback on the Patreon and see what all the fuss is about. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun, it's good, 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 good. Mmm. Sounds good. Hello and welcome to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback. We look through the dizzying highs, the terrifying lows, and the creamy middles of the Simpsons seasons 1 to 12 through random episode generation. I'm of course your host, Tyler Crane. With me is a good friend of mine through um, you know, Quidditch and the spectrums of online there. He's a zoology student and a passionate man about writing and fiction and everything um, D&D. I'd like to welcome uh, George Yolland onto the podcast. George, I finally got you on. It's good to have you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's uh, very exciting. I'm, I'm ready to get into it. Nice. Um, now, I guess we'll get into the, you know, the big question straight away before I dive right into this specific episode. But um, I guess I'll ask you, how did your fandom start? Tell me everything about Simpsons and your love for it. Just tell me every little detail. Well... Uh, for people who don't know me, uh, I left the United Kingdom, specifically Aberdeen, Scotland, when I was four years old. Uh, and I didn't live in the UK till I was 18 again. And so we didn't have a lot in the way of kind of conventional uh, television. Uh, we had a, a, a weird bootleg sky, but it was the super basic version. So we only got BBC, no Cartoon Network, no Nickelodeon, no Boomerang know any kind of main avenue for the simpsons except for maybe something like channel four but even then uh we made a habit of every time it became available uh, a season of the simpsons was available on dvd and it was something we just watched on repeat and repeat and repeat to the point where to this day that uh me and my brothers we will all we will just mention the start of a simpsons quote and we will finish it because it just made us laugh so much so that's kind of where it started. and But once university got started and I kind of lost access to Channel 4 just because I wasn't watching television, I didn't have the DVDs, I just kind of stopped watching it until uh, this episode. So it was exciting to see what it was like, you know, five years on. Now you bring up an interesting point there, George, because usually when I have guests on and we've all been from the British Isles and always been in the 90s, it's either, or we started watching Simpsons because of BBC Two in the year 99, 2000 and, you know, the weakest link. Fresh Prince lineup as well, or it's Channel 4, early 2000s at 6 o'clock. Now, because you've travelled you know, around with your family throughout your life, I'm intrigued to know that were you able to watch it on other countries' terrestrial channels, or was it just through DVDs alone? We had our, our what I like to call our bootleg sky, because there was always a, something a little shady going on whenever we got it set up, but my parents just told me not to worry about it. So we did get Channel 4. <laughs> Uh, but we did have uh, DVDs mostly. It was growing up. Uh, we had CBBC, so it was a lot of Tracy Beaker, a lot of Arthur. I used to watch Arthur religiously. It's one of the greatest children's oh, shows ever brilliant. made. Uh, congratulations! Recently, I believe uh, maybe a week or two ago, it was Mr. Ratburn's uh, gay rat anniversary <laughs> from last year. I was I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad they did that. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and the episode we're going to be reviewing today is Radioactive Man from season seven, episode two. From season seven, episode two, directed by Susie Dieter, written by John Swartzwelder, with the original air date being September twenty fourth, nineteen ninety five, and with the couch gag being that the couch is printed out like a fax machine and it slides underneath the sofa there. 
I thought now, it was nice. As, I thought it was like a nice touch. Now, as I ask everyone, um, what did you um, think of this initially? Do you have any nostalgic memories of um, this Radioactive Man episode? I think it's not really what I remember. Uh, it definitely wasn't the one that really stuck out in my head. I think the big one that stuck in my head was um, the one of the earlier Treehouse of Horrors with the Raven, because it's one of the greatest uh, narrations of the Raven ever ever done, courtesy of James Earl Jones. Uh, but otherwise, it didn't really stick out, except for, of course, uh, the gargoyles, they do nothing. Oh, yeah, the meme that's really sprung out of this, which I'm sure we will get to <laughs> down the line, but no no strong memories from this one. Not not really. And, like, it was kind of weird. I've, I've been, I do watch a lot of comedy, and I do like me some comedy, and I've realised just how prevalent the cold open is in, like, modern comedy that I watched this, and my first thought of when we went straight into the intro was just like, oh, we're going straight into this then. I was like, wait, it's The Simpsons. It's always straight in. <laughs> memories from this, not really strong minus, um, again, like you say, the meme, and um, I know, uh, I remember Mickey Rooney from it as just this, you know, this old man that turns up at the end and getting more into film and tv now it turns out mickey rooney was hell he's a massive deal that i'll again i'll get to at the end but what always strikes me is um for those of you who um are a bit unaware of behind the scenes stuff um you'll notice that it's a lot um brighter it's a lot punchier the uh color of the animation do you know why this is george i do not know this is the first um episode in the whole of the series to be digitally coloured really yes it is and um we've reviewed another episode in fact it was the second ever digitally coloured episode tennis the menace please don't watch it because we had to and that was 20 minutes <laughs> and we're never gonna get back but um from that uh i believe from season 14 onwards it went all digital color but yes this was um them experimenting in season seven i mean what did you think did you find it jarring not really. It just kind of, it, I didn't really register it. I thought it was. I thought the coloring was pretty okay. I, I had no major gripes or issues with it. No, I believe it's just when you watch them back to back, and then you see this. It really um jumps out of the pages. Almost um you know jumps out of the comic book pages there. Um, just in the contrast of how vivid the color is. Oh, could you imagine an entire Simpsons episode like like Kirby dots, like old Ooh. school comics, an entire Simpsons episode done like that style? That'd be funky. How we open this episode is we're at the Android's Dungeon there in Barton Millhouse, you know, looking through comics and they've got a whole plethora of comics, including, um, I, I don't even think of what would be behind this one, the uh, Man Boy, George. That's, that's just Shazam. That's all that is. He's a, he's a boy that turns into a man. Oh, bloody hell, so it is. And <laughs> I've got to... others. Tree Man, that's just Groot. And Lady <laughs> Lava Lady, that's Magma from the X-Men. <laughs> oh, right. So do you think the like indirectly directly um referencing these lot because man boy i just thought like obviously <laughs> slightly dodgy <laughs> thoughts there but um like yeah it makes sense from man boy now i don't i don't, th I don't think is... a man boy and shazam is meant to be the connection that's the only connection i made but i i don't i don't think the direct references i don't think no. I, I think there's just maybe perhaps the comic book industry has become so inundated with different superheroes as bart says that I just I can just yep that's the thing I'd believe that. <laughs> the busy scanning through you know comics new sort of novels to get into and that and Bart saying oh you know all these comics suck there they they can't hold a candle to Radioactive Man and you know Milhouse saying oh this fellow comes close you know radiation do but oh no he's just a crappy knockoff oh yeah well go on then smartass explain 
and Bart's, you know, giving it all, you know, oh, you know, it, you know, similar costume with that, and whenever he punches someone, he hits them with the catchphrase, you know, up and at him, you know, with atom, you know, spoke A-T-O-M in a lovely pun. Radiation Dude has a much lamer catchphrase, up and let's go. Up and let, I love that. I, that's, <laughs> I don't know why, that really, really makes me laugh. Now, I know you're, you know, you're big and deep and heavy into fiction there, George, but I don't think I've really asked you a one-to-one about uh, comics. I know you're big into you know, role-play, D&D and such, but where do you stand on, you know, comic books and you know, your Marvel, your DC and that. I really like comic books. In fact, the first role-playing oh, game good. I ever I'm glad, played... I'm glad, I'm glad you picked this episode then. Like, oh, oh, yeah. I, 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 brow. <laughs> I, uh, the very first role-playing game I ever played was uh, a superhero-themed one called Mutants and Masterminds, uh, which is a really fun, crazy system. It just lets you do whatever you want. It's a really free form. But in the first game I played, I played Indiana Jones because it was a, a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen-themed game. Uh, so I just got to be Indiana Jones for every, you know, Thursday night for a, a few weeks. I've loved comics for a long time, and it's really interesting to see... The, the thing that really kind of distracted me was that I don't exactly know what Radioactive Man can do. <laughs> we know super strength, flight, probably a given, and invulnerability, but beyond that, there's not really a lot that he's got going on for himself. No, other than the fact, you know, he was caused you know by radiation it's radiation that gave him his powers what it just was seems the, used... what was the episode where they had the comic panels where they actually go over his origin and the i think it's Martin... three, th- three men in a comic book from season two that's it that was a great episode oh yeah it's brilliant and they're just very on the nose like oh you know radiation blast would kill another normal man i want to know um did marvel borrow from dc or vice versa do they tend to like steal from each other as far as ideas it's a free-for-all like you've got like and i don't think i don't mean that in a bad way i think you definitely get uh xps and captain air sats of various other peoples like for the big one is deadpool deathstroke uh other things that swing to mind there you know there are two captain marvels uh, shazam used to be known as captain marvel um but i think i, I don't really mind it because a i like tropes and cliches and b nothing is new under the sun and besides yeah that's very true you do have uh, comic artists like the wonderful Gail Simone, who uh, goes in between Marvel and DC. Uh, she does some excellent writing with uh, the X-Men and uh, Birds of Prey. That's who she's very much g- good with. And also Domino as well. Uh, those are some excellent books. And, like, again, nothing is new under the sun. You have the person with super strength. You've got the person in the super suit. You've got, like, Steel versus Iron Man. You've got... All American Good Boys, Steve Rogers and Clark Kent. The old kind, like it's all. I'm, I've never been truly bothered with the idea of copying, like, because it, it's just, it's more stuff with more character traits I like. I don't like the Punisher, but that's because he's an edgy boy. But <laughs> like, he, he's not, a, he's not a hero. He's a villain protagonist. He's, a, he's a murdering, horrible person. He kills people with like smoking weed and shit. But he wears all black and he's got a cool skull on the front. How can you not like Get that 90s grimdark out of here, boy. <laughs> Comic book guy over here is biting me how I was talking. He goes, oh, so you know, you're the radioactive man aficionados, are you? And that, you know, they, um, don't know the exact figure, George, maybe you could help me, but you know, they've seen like the whole, say 181 comics of radioactive man, including the special one where... Him and Fall Out Boy are killed on every page. That's now, is just that a direct reference that, to something. I don't think it is, 
but I know that that kind of comic has been done because there's the there's two of them now. There's Deadpool kills the Marvel universe, which just as it says, Deadpool making his way through the Marvel universe, killing people, and it, I don't understand why they made that. I know there was one called um, Death of Superman, and you get seem like, well, you know, passed away on you know a bunch of rubble and that, but I couldn't, I didn't know if it was a direct reference to a certain comic. I don't think it was probably the Death of Superman is probably not a reference. That's more along. Death of Superman is usually taken as a, as a joke because it was in you know it was released in 1993 and then a pr- I think it was not very long after maybe months later Superman came back. Oh right, he well, was in a coma. <laughs> oh okay, ah. No, he was he was literally brought back to life like through weird Kryptonian science in the sun. That's how it, that's how he works. He's sun powered. Comic books guy springs that uh, you know the big news on him saying you know. Oh well, then surely you guys would know that the Hollywood are thinking of producing a radioactive man film, and <gasps> ah, it it gets me every time. But like when I start the episode, I just think, why are they wearing hats? Oh yeah, for the upcoming guy. <laughs> oh, you know, I've got to fix that air conditioning. I love that. That was so funny. <laughs> so you kids fancy yourselves experts, eh? Well. Between us, we've read all 814 issues of Radioactive Man. Yeah, and we both have a special limited edition issue where he and Fallout Boy get killed on every page. Well, I suppose you know then that Hollywood is planning a feature film about Radioactive Man. <gasps> I have got to do something about that air conditioner suction. I like it because it's obviously stupid, but again, it does make me think of like kids' shows I used to watch and just the, <gasps> just, you know, the childlike wonder you'd get from a gasp like that and it's... Yeah, very on the nose with like how excited they are that you get the hats <laughs> flying off there in the cover. But I really enjoyed it, George. I, I thought it was a brilliant joke. I, I think as childish as it might seem, if they had like a slide whistle as they went up. Yeah. Oh, that would be brilliant. So have comic book guy, you know, he goes, I'll find out in exactly like seven seconds. So he shuffles over to his um computer and growing to quote being old and that, but I wasn't this old with, you know, the R dot dot, you know, proper proper nineties <laughs> forums there, and I I can't believe this is how it used to be to get the goss and that you know you'd have to input a load of code and just to talk to you know Frank over in Illinois to see if he's got you know extra deets on you know the latest Batman or whatever. I can't believe it, George. We get to the final nerd now, and you know he's pitched out underneath you know this Howard executive room there. You know he plugs it in, and then we get um. I tell you what, I'm not gonna lie. Um, the first fellow who speaks, we'll call him the studio head. He looks a lot not like now a newly incarcerated um, former producer. I'm sure maybe it was intentional, maybe it was unintentional or not, but he looks exactly like um, that fellow who's gone away for a long time now. Weinstein. Like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he? Hang on, I probably need to look that up, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, sort of in the look as well and in the hair as. Oh, maybe it's just because it's you know. A producer. And all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he wants him, you know, bring back the original Dirk Richter. Kids want to see the original Radioactive Man. And then we have your main producer here saying, oh, I keep telling you, he's 73 and he's dead. <laughs> but he's adamant. He, he just wants Dirk Richter. And don't they do, they do a flashback to the... Uh... To the original Radioactive Man, uh, very Adam West's Batman. Besides, we want to stay as far away from the campy 70s version as possible. Billowing backpacks, Radioactive Man! It's the worst villain of them all! The Scoutmaster! I see him, Fallout Boy. Go get him, Scouts! 
Don't be afraid to use your nails, boys. <laughs> They don't want it at camp in 60s like the original series. That's all I want. <laughs> yes, now, um, I'm guessing you've watched it before. I mean, what do you think of, you know, 60s Batman and also how they were able to rebrand it for, you know, the 89 Keaton vehicle? It, I, I've not seen that many episodes of the Adam West Batman, but they definitely nailed the tone, the voice. Did they bring Adam West for... Uh... For old for the old school radioactive man because it was an uncanny kind of Adam Westish voice Westish no, voice. No, they didn't. I tell you that they didn't. But they did an absolute bang up job with it. Even with the delivery, you know, the delay. Easy for that boy. That's it. And um, I mean, what did you think about the incredibly offensive um, Scoutmaster? Oh yeah, that was that was prime sixties. <laughs> That that was prime sixties villain. That's that's queer coding up to the wazoo. I mean, I laugh, but it's still a guilty laugh. But you know the don't forget to use your nails, boys. boys. It just get me every time. It just uh, the sixties where offensiveness was you know allowed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> frankly, the nineties as well. That's what they were going for. They were they, they stuck with it. Uh, but I really enjoyed the onomatopoeia that they gave out. Yes, like Can my you remember th- any of them. I wrote down three of my favorites. They were all in a row. Number one, classic Bort. Bort was there. Uh, Newt. Gotta love me some Newts. I, I liked Newt, yeah. Uh, Mint. <laughs> yes. I don't know why Mint just got me. There's Poo. Big Poo one as well. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> Radioactive Man and Fallout Boy beat up all the, you know, all the scouts there. And then they have a 60s boogie breakdown in there, as only they could. I like the detail as well of um, you can sort of see the Dirk Richter, the actual actor himself, being a bit uncomfortable with the dancing, mm. and then there's some slightly more zoomed-in shot of like him looking like dead in the eyes, like I'll just keep dancing until they <laughs> shout cut, and then you get the scout sort of popping up and having a dance, like it makes absolutely no sense. I don't know what you mean. I thought it was cinematic. I was a, it was a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> That's all I want. I want to see that now. I want, I want 60s Radioactive Man. Get on it, Simpsons. Again, it's a brilliant send-up of 60s Batman. And, I mean, a lot of this fil- a lot of this episode you could um, put on the fact, you know, of the rebrand of Batman as the more dark and brooding character, a sexy character, if you will. So the, you know, the production company are looking for a place to film. So they'll check Variety. Are they going to go, you know, film Texas or Atlanta, Houston, you know, Dallas, maybe... No, you know, look at that ad, and it's the smallest ad. And my eyes keep deceiving me, but it actually says Flim, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. They mention that. They mention that, no, uh, this place uh, is so great, it can af- it knows it can afford to have such a small ad with incorrect ri- incorrect spelling. I don't know why. My eyes just seem to, like, re-correct it, and I just always think it says Film Springfield. But no, it's just Flim, it, and it's There is a phenomenon where if the first and last letters of... Uh, a word is there and correct, your eyes will just fill in the gaps and you will just oh, read it as normal. It oh, is a phenomenon wow. and it it happens a lot. So the producer and the director are now in Springfield there. They're meeting with Mayor Quimby. Oh, and... hang on, hang on. When he calls up his uh, pilot, he goes, get me a direct flight to the state that Springfield is in. Yeah, they swerve that there. They've always got to keep you guessing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have Quimby, I mean, he's just absolutely bootlick and he wants to rinse you know these hollywood 
no good nothings for anything you know so we'll give you anything you know you'll get everything you know if there's some if these there's poor some shiny animal... la boys yeah shiny and dumb and easy to trick <laughs> if there's some animal nosing around your camera we'll have it wiped out look we want to make movies not kill things and Wigan, i mean he might get mvp by the end of this bit right we understand give him a little wink you know he knows how to grease the wheel that's how hollywood works we're back to Springfield Elementary now, and, you know, Skinner's announcing over the town, you know, class, we have some news, you know, Radiation Man, and Nelson straight away, Radioactive Man, stupid. I, um... Shouldn't have been able to hear that. Able... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, I love uh, logic breaks like that. I think they work very, very well in The Simpsons. He says, oh, you know, the Radioactive Man film is, you know, going to be filmed right here in Springfield, and all the kids cheer, they're all very happy. They also and gasp, they... and the hairs go up. <laughs> I was going to say, they've all conveniently got hats on again, George. And so what happened? <laughs> they all go up to the ceiling. And, of course, Skinner mentions that the air conditioning will be fixed by Monday. I mean, maybe in other sitcoms it might be lazy, but I don't know. I still got as much enjoyment the second time as I did the first time with the old hat gag. I think we could have done one more. I, I think, you know... Yeah, real threes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... I, like, I was waiting for it, and I missed it. I was quite sad. I was like, oh, where's, where's the third hat? All right. Um, now, where would where would you try and fit it in? Maybe when uh, Rooney, at the very end, says he's got his very very own Fallout Boy right here. Oh, yeah, and Bart can have his hat go. Yes. We have Bart, you know, he's eager. He wants to get this role. So he's up and around the kitchen saying, you know, look behind you, radioactive man. The sun's exploding again. A big, dramatic role, and... It was a good role. Really- it was. It was brilliant. I, I like seeing Bart, you know, energised and passionate, but um, the family a bit worried, you know, who are you talking to? And Homer suspects infidelity straight away. I don't know what it was. That 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 gag didn't hit on me quite right. I thought it was weird about it. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the timing, but something just didn't resonate with me. I was like, okay. Yeah, well, maybe it's because... I know Homer's been a bit too stupid, maybe. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Yeah, I think that was probably what it was about. It was... Because uh, there is a sliding scale of Homer's intelligence, depending on the episode. Yeah, Grain called it um, like his elastic um, intelligence and what have you. You're right, he does very... Yeah, that I mean, has, has a has name. Vary. Yeah, I, I believe it's like elastic blank, so it's elastic intelligence or elastic um, stupidity or what have you. But yeah, um, I mean, if it's you know, not not non-canonical. If it resets with every, at the end of every episode, then it's you sort of has to have it elasticated, really. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a, the Simpsons is a show that uh, focuses on timelines and character development, except for a few very kind of fixed points. Looking at you, Maud. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, um, we reviewed that episode, and I was surprised that me and my co-host were on other sides of the fence as far as you know, like getting rid of a character there it's a very interesting listen for you uh yeah i'll go um go recommend that folks go onto itunes now it should be up so we have you know brockman saying you know, oh, you know hollywood is here and you know springfield are making sure they get every single dollar so they have banners up welcome hollywood money i think in one of the bits where you get snape just wearing a sandwich board saying give me a million dollars or i'll stab you <laughs> i missed that <laughs> Yeah, just very direct, very to the point. In England, amongst like all the you know, hundred dollar haircuts and you know five pound sandwiches and all that, you just get um, snake with a very direct threat on the sandwich board. I saw the Hollywood Cafe. That went big, giggle because uh, I think I've, have I been to like I've been to the Rainforest Cafe. Yeah, no, yeah, it's called Planet Hollywood. That's what it's called. 
And it's like a, a hard rock cafe, but with uh, movie memorabilia. I went to one in London that had like the Terminator skeleton. It was awesome. We're in Moe's bar now, and Moe's even getting in on this Hollywood action, you know. He was one of the little rascals there, you know, the old 30s cartoon there. Who know, the hell were the little rascals? <laughs> the little rascals were, I believe it was a 30s, um, you know, yeah. light entertainment kids show there. I'm not going to lie, not the best representation for certain minorities. Oh, yeah, probably being not. certain butts of the joke, but, um, yeah, um. I know my granddad used to watch it, so that shows you sort of how it got really? lost to the, yeah, how that got lost to the annals of time there. Like I, I was convinced it was kind of like uh, this kind of nineteen ninety five bit that just would not translate to anyone currently. According to Wikipedia, they're also known as our gang, and it ranged from nineteen twenty two to nineteen forty four. And strangely, Mickey Rooney was not in it. <laughs> no, I know. He spans, you know. He was denied. He went to the audition, but he didn't make the cut. Mm. Uh, but I, I actually I looked into it because um, in the flashback, Mo uh, ends up killing uh, yes, the original Alfalfa. Yeah, let that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kills the original Alfalfa because he stole this bit of when he had to look into a uh, car exhaust and gets just get putts for the soot in kind of a. That's kind of dangerous, uh, but <laughs> in many ways. You mean you were one of the original little rascals? Yeah. Which one were you? The ugly one? Were you the ugly one? No, I was the tough kid, smelling. My stick was looking into an exhaust pipe and getting a face full of soot. <laughs> Nobody could do that better than me. If you were such a big shot, why aren't you still making movies? Mo? Mo? Oh no, my favorite Aggie! Huh? <gasps> my god! He's killed the original Alfalfa! Yeah, luckily Alfalfa was an orphan owned by the studio. Oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually looked at what happened to the original Alfalfa. Oh, what happened? Please tell. He was shot and killed in 1959 over money disputes. Oh, how old was he? I'm... 31. Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah, no. Meant, like, no, no, no. Just when he was a kid. <laughs> Not when he was a kid. Not when he was a kid. <laughs> Uh, the, 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 uh, the Little Rascals were like 1930-something, so he was... I think he left the show when he was 12. Right. Oh. I'm not saying it's better, but like I can't imagine a drive-by by his like primary school. But, oh, God. <laughs> but thankfully, he was an orphan owned by the studio. You even get the buffers and, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so he was. <laughs> Just agreeing with murder. That's pretty much... That's how it went in early Hollywood's baby. <laughs> they owned the town. If you want to be freaked out... Uh, look into... God, what is his name? Uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved did a really good episode on this guy. Are these the same gentlemen that do your um, your murders? Yeah, William Desmond Taylor. William Desmond Taylor. He was a guy who was killed uh, in uh, Hollywood in the 1930s. He was one of the, uh, the star directors. He was the Spielberg of his day. He did like 200 films. Granted, it was 1930, so there wasn't a lot of like stuff going on, but still. Uh, and... But he was uh, shot and killed, and the movie executive took potential evidence from his room, from his house. Oh, Christ, man. And when the police eventually found out about it, he just gave him back. And nothing else was followed up. He just completely got away with tampering with evidence. Like, 30s Hollywood, like, Hollywood owned 
Los Angeles. Still does in some regards, but still. I mean, I love L.A. Noir, and, you know, a section of that is going to the old, you know, finding these murders and these desperate times, you know, with underage folk and, you know, willing to, you know, commit suicide on these lavish, um, you know, set designs and that. It was, I mean, truly embedded, and it's not for the best. And besides, police officers in that day would, like, you'd say, oh, so you committed a murder. You have five bucks? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking the other way for uh, Benjamin Franklin. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Any day now, Mr. Esteemed Gentleman. So we have the um, auditions for Fallout Boy happening in Springfield Elementary. And you got notable, you know, kids reading through the lines and that down the hall. And Bart being the true showman that just pops out of the office going, Watch out! Radioactive man far off in the distance there with a glint in his eye and all the kids, you know, are applauding him. He goes, oh, you know, thanks. Comes with the territory. Even hits him with a bit of Shakespeare, which yeah, we can appreciate there. You know, his method, his method is Bart Simpson. Mm-hmm. And good method, not bad method. Chadwick Boseman, not uh, not Jared Leader. Ah, now, I guess uh, maybe you might know a bit more about acting than a thought. What's the difference between good or bad method then? Basically... Strangely enough, uh, Robert Pattinson uh, comes to these, makes this uh, observation, even though he's not quite correct, in that when people tend to method act, the ones that get the attention or that the ones you hear about are all the people that, you know, like send a dead fish to somebody or like shout and scream when they're still offset and not on camera. Uh, Whereas you have people like Chadwick Boseman during the filming of Black Panther, uh, he never dropped his Wakandan accent. Right, because when I think of, you know, nice method i think of you know your daniel day lewis type there there are two spe- specific schools there's uh the stand of the stanislavski method which is very slight and then there's the strasburg method and one i can't quite remember which one is the other uh but there is there's one difference where it's like you must immerse yourself in the role by being them and the other is you must immerse yourself in the role by thinking like them and therein lies the the big thing and one makes you popular with your co-workers and the other does not no i don't want to be sending dead mice to my mates on the set of you know suicide squad yeah and besides the joker's not an interesting character anyway uh <laughs> that's, that's gonna get me some flack but whatever but and uh his particular edition i noticed he's got his little cloak he had a little cloak with a little pin strapped together really get into yeah, it yeah he did he came prepared now, who is your favourite um, out of all of the auditioners, out of all the kids? I do like Bart. He's got the passion. Hang yes, on, we, do, we, not... talk, we talking in comedy chops or in talking about uh, in in terms of the gag? Oh, in terms of the gag, you know, you got your. Oh, in terms of the gag, you Ralph. Uh, Ralph, easy. He's he's my favourite character. <laughs> what time is lunch tomorrow? Next. <laughs> Wet chicken next. <laughs> Oh, bless him. It's just like a normal day at school. He's got no idea what's going on. <laughs> He's living life. and But he does have acting chops. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, in season four, of course. What a powerhouse performance that was. Beautiful. Should have won the Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for myself, I mean, I'd probably go with Bart as well because, I, I mean, the direction of it as well and how they designed his look and that. Because, like, with each line direction, you know, when the director's egging on, say, brilliant, again, and one more time. Do it again! Him, yeah, you get to see him, like, a bit happy and a bit like, oh, I've got this, you can really see it in his eyes and his mouth and that. And then when, you know, the carpet gets pulled underneath him for being, like, an inch too short, 
Oh, I just I just felt crestfallen as well. They just absolutely played this. It was it was rough, especially when you compare to. I'm not sure if anyone has seen the set photos of uh, Robert Downey Jr. on on the set of Iron Man on the various Iron Man films uh, when he has to be next to Gwyneth Paltrow and he's wearing these incredible platform shoes. Oh, what? Yeah, he's a he's a shorter gentleman. Oh wow, you wouldn't have thought it from obviously like his presence and performance and that but i never knew yeah he's about five eight roughly but yeah it, oh. it, that, that's what really reminded me i was just like robert downer jr can do that don't worry about it <laughs> literally just before when uh millhouse was gonna uh be brought in uh they mentioned that uh uh luan says that uh now take off your glasses so you can see those eyes and they she takes them off and they're the tiny little pinpricks piss holes in the snow yeah <laughs> and anyone who has worn glasses myself included will attest that we all think we look god-awful without our glasses. Like, I once had someone tell me I look like a serial killer without them. Oh, my God. Oh, George. <laughs> see, I, see, I was going to bring that up because I just... That caught me off guard just seeing his little beady eyes, but then I didn't want to bring up, like, if he had, like, <laughs> eye anxiety. I didn't want to be that guy. Oh, no, no. I, I Like, literally, the, the, the moment I saw it, I was like, yeah, I know you, Millhouse. I see you. I feel you. You and I are the are the, are the same in a lot of ways. That one that I've gotten me teased by my brothers when I was younger, but still. <laughs> <laughs> so we end Act One with Bart being crestfallen, but he's still determined. You know, he will get that role. He will grow several inches, and you just you can't see anything. You just see Bart with a load of rope saying, "Pull, you mighty stallions, pull!" And ah, uh, what do we see, George? Uh, we see uh, Snowball and Santa's little helper. No, Snowball too, and Santa's little helper. Uh, Pull them along, a la a horrific torture device. It's not how they took down William Wallace. I'm not getting in. I'm only like a quarter Scottish, but I'm not getting into this being this horrible English man recording with you. Bart rushes downstairs, you know, and measures himself again. He goes, ah, oh, it's only half an inch there. And the family are actually quite impressed, you know. Yeah, that's actually really impressive. Because <laughs> that's how um, quickly Grandpa's shrinking and you just get to see the back of his head go by. Great visual guy. <laughs> I'm as tall as I ever was. <laughs> so funny, so funny. That's probably one of my biggest highlights of the episode. That 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 was a really good one. Like you don't even like you don't even see his clothes, I don't think. No, you don't see his mouth move or anything, it's just a little head pop by the Like the top half of his face. Yeah. So Bart asks a good question. Is there a way of, you know, having me look like I'm tall rather than actually being tall and um and he goes but to the I Robert Downey Jr. school. <laughs> he takes the lesson. He does, yeah. He's wearing these incredible so, platform shoes. He's got he's put his spikes even higher. He's got I don't, a pinstripe on. I don't know. Oh, that's why he was wearing that. I forgot yeah, about yeah. Like, For a break, I was like, maybe he's just going with the fashion. <laughs> maybe he was like, well, I'm tall now. This is what tall people wear. Yeah, stripes, um, you know, famously are supposed to make you look taller, much like blacks, um, you know, used to make people look a lot slimmer and such there, but... I don't know about you, but I'm all about, you know, perception. Let's say you're not naturally grifted in one area. If, you know, I'm all about fake it till you make it there. And obviously, you know, Bart's got the raw potential we've seen there. But, I mean, I'd, I think I've said it with loads of other people. I like seeing people, you know, spurred on and have passion and a drive there. And I just like seeing it in Bart. It's just a shame it doesn't go his way, even though he's dapperly dressed. Yeah, it's a shame. It's really, it's always a joy to see Bart doing something because like he's definitely kind of disengaged and like when something exciting and when something interests him he he goes in full force 
Like, I think a big one of yeah. that was the whacking day stuff with Jebediah Springfield. Well, I guess with a lot of, you know, young kids, you know, if you can put your mind to it or focus on one thing, then, um, you know, they can really, you know, succeed and thrive. And that's the thing with Bart. And I think that's maybe why a lot of people, myself included, really resonate when you see, you know, this you know, rough around the edges kid, you know, learn to learn and, you know, trying to succeed at this one thing. But yeah, I, I just, I just really enjoy it um as sappy as it sounds george we have um you know the directors is going for the old misdirect and congratulations bart simpson you're our new fallout boy and he's standing right over there and it's millhouse millhouse is the new fallout boy there now um what do you think of this casting decision itself was it purely just on looks i've got a feeling well that's the thing because like at first it appears he's just got the looks, he's at the right height, he's got the blue hair from the old 60s show. But then, like, they, they do state that later, he is good. Like, and we, we have to take that as we believe it. Like, Milhouse says that he's good at what he does, as does the director, as does Mickey Rooney. So we, we do have to, be, we have to believe because they are primary sources. And as far as we can tell, they're not unreliable narrators. So I think... It was probably a mix, and, and unfortunately, he just got the right mix of talent and looks. I was going to bring this up inevitably, but can you think of any great casting choices or horrible, horribly miscast people in, you know, how not even just Marvel films, but films in general? Films in general. Because um... I remember, um, obviously, Nicolas Cage was supposed to be Batman. That was one of the <laughs> biggest. Like he was going to be Superman. <laughs> oh, Superman! Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think Christopher Reeves will always be the archetypal Superman. No question. Uh, Brandon Ruth, however, does a very, very good job. Uh, I think moving away from live action, Kevin Conroy will be the voice of Batman. No question. Uh, then you also have, um, in terms of outside of kind of superhero stardom, uh, Henry Cavill is Geralt of Rivia from The Witcher. Oh, yeah. I saw like everyone and their mum fawning over him in that. Me included. <laughs> that yeah, man, because um, oh. he, he, he brings he, he brings more things. He's got the looks. He's got the build. Uh, he is he's very good at playing someone who claims that they are a closed book, but they are absolutely not. Uh, because that that's the thing I think a lot of people miss when they watch The Witcher is that they think that Geralt is emotionless. He isn't. He's he's he very much wears his heart in his sleeves, and if you're if you look for his kind of facial expressions and his attitudes and behaviours, you see that very clearly. And he also has a great passion for it. He's got a great passion for The Witcher and video gaming in general. Uh, like, one of his greatest stories is that when he was cast as Superman, uh, he, uh, when he got the call, he let it go to voicemail because he was in the middle of a World of Warcraft raid. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and the, I think... Uh, I, cu I couldn't bear to watch it because I can't deal with secondhand embarrassment, but apparently... Uh, the Graham Norton show, when he was on it, and Graham asked him a couple of questions about video gaming, you could tell that he was in that position that all people who have ever played a video game has been in when you have to talk to relatives and friends who have no idea where to start. Oh, no. And he's yeah, just like, he's gonna have to, like, yeah, sure. Uh -huh. Like, I think, uh, I think in a, he was referring to the Wild Raid story, and I think Graham Norton asked, did you win? And it's like, yeah, you don't really win raids. <laughs> <laughs> you just finish them. Uh, yeah. But like, like he's definitely in that position. I think that's kind of what endeared him to a lot of people. Uh, there's also a, an excellent video uh, where he's at literally going over the what I would say is one of the best scenes in the entire series. And 
Interesting that they kind of use it up really quickly in the first episode, but I can see why they would, uh, of uh, him uh, fighting in Blaviken. And he's putting so much passion and detail into like, this is how we... Because it's a single-shot accent scene, uh, a la Daredevil. And so it's, a lot of work goes into it. Uh, and he's describing how they would use this and how he has actually he has three different swords one that is a full proper metal sword that they use for like still shots uh they use a half sword which they use for actual combat and uh you know stabbing people because half of it's missing and you can add the rest in post uh and then he has the rubber sword which he keeps on his back and when they're doing movement and stuff so that he doesn't you know hit himself with the metal and he like there's a there was a really funny meme uh of like someone just kind of staring dreamily up at a person explaining something and it's uh uh, Henry Cavill talking about his swords in The Witcher, and it's just like the rest of us just looking up, just enjoying it. Like, you go, man. You tell your stories. With Milhouse being cast as Full Art Boy now, you get, you know, the flash bulbs, the cameras, and the, you know, the screaming girls. But we have, hell, I'm sure he's going to be yours as well. Um, one of mine and Cal's favorite side characters, it's Lionel Hutz. Out of the way. Millhouse, baby! Lionel Hutz, your new agent, bodyguard, unauthorized biographer, and drug dealer. Keeper away. I'm sure we don't have to uh, ask you if you love him. Who, uh, who wouldn't love him? Do you have a favorite Lionel Hutz moment or memory from episodes? Oh, uh, God. I think... Not so much Lionel Hutz. I much prefer... Uh, like Definitely up there is Philip Hartman's Troy McClure. Same voice oh, actor. Okay. Uh, he, Do you have a favorite he... Troy McClure? Uh, definitely um, the Planet of the Apes, Planet of the Apes the musical. Oh, I choice there. Okay. I will regularly if I'm in, like in the kitchen or I'm just doing something. I just go, "Help me, Doctor Zeus, Doctor Zeus, Doctor Zeus, Doctor Zeus, Doctor Zeus." I'm hoping you do a break dance like that and one background monkey as well <laughs> when you're yeah. singing it. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, <laughs> I, I clear. I specifically clear a space in my uh, you know. Uh, three meter by two meter kitchen and just do a crazy breakdance. <laughs> but Lionel's here to represent Millhouse. You know he's going to be, you know, your agent and your drug dealer. Dealer. <laughs> but Millhouse, he can't deal with it. You know, he runs away. He wants it all to stop there. He's, he doesn't want the fame. He's realised what a horrible mistake he's made. But hell, the family, they've run the credit cards out. They've already bought in. And how, I don't know how they're going to pay for all of it. But I like the look of that jacuzzi suit. I don't. I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be in. I'm not into it. <laughs> I think just, it's too. It's too logically unsound. But I know it could be made. Bart is absolutely crestfallen once again, and you know why couldn't this have been him? But Lisa has a nice spin on it. You know, he still needs a friend. He needs someone to hurl whiskey bottles at. You know, when he's a washed up drunk and such. And so that's gonna yeah, be Bart's plan very much a crossing the lines twice moment that really got me hurl whiskey bottles at uh, and hurl whiskey bottles at and Bart later says I'll suck up to him like people suck up to God they gotta take a shot at organised religion every oh, yeah. now and then <laughs> I can see why and straight away we have a couple of you know a couple of road agents come through a couple of techies come through with some lights and Homer oh bless him just he's so excited Guess what, kids? They're gonna pay us fifty dollars a day to film some of the movie here, causing like three hundred dollars plus <laughs> worth of damage as well. Just gotta run that cable through here and home with a nice bit of father telling, "Oh, careful now!" <laughs> so just wreck his house. Now coming up to this bit, you know, with Homer seeing the direct, you know, do you direct on natural discretions? Oh well, yes, I did. 
And he just rips into him. Oh, I've never walked out of a theatre, but ugh. Now, has this happened to you? Can you name me a film you've actually walked out on? I was I was very, very close to walking out of uh, The Rise of Skywalker. It was the first time it ever happened in my life. Oh, really? I'm full okay, of hot takes what? today. <laughs> yeah, please, tell us. I just... it For two main reasons. It was very obvious that they were catering to a vocal majority. A vocal minority in that they were completely retconning everything that the last jedi set up i personally i don't think that the last jedi is the best star wars film i flip-flop on that but i do think it's the one with the most guts i think it's the one with the most to say to be willing to go okay i i assume i think this is what i have gleaned from how the last jedi and the the sequel trilogy went is that ryan johnson was given no major direction of where the series was finally going to go so he was like you know what fuck it let's go crazy and i like that i like that they make luke a flawed character who is in in pain i like that they make ray a nobody someone who was from nothing and then they really just rewind turn it really do a full 180 in the next film because yeah. that's all that can matter in Star Wars is is bloodlines. That's all that matters in Star Wars nowadays, and it's it's so frustrating. Because it was it was literally my favorite part of the film that they were like they were willing to make the statement of just like, yeah, Ray is a nobody from nowhere, and you have this great kind of uh kind of yin and yang kind of aspect to Kylo Ren and Ray, where Ren is, uh, the scion of a bloodline of the Lord Vader, one of the most powerful Siths ever to exist. And you have Rey, who's from fucking nothing, kicking his ass, being able to meet that bloodline against him. And then they kind of just turn up into a weird clone circle jerk. Nah, mate, got to be Skywalker. Got to get that merch on it. As far as walking out of a film myself, again, I've talked about it briefly before on the podcast, but I've had my frugality wound in and bedded in me too much by my dad. So like, I've paid this ticket, and even though I'm hating it, I've got to sit it through because, you know, it's the value of the ticket and that. But I believe, um, what was it, Aliens in the Attic. And it was like, I was at an awkward age, maybe it was like 14, 15, and me and two of my other mates were going with these three other girls. And I, remember to... I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. We're going to see and try and see if this leads wow. anywhere, but we were just, um, we just ended up like chucking popcorn at each other, and it was like, no, this is a waste of popcorn and my time, but. For God's sake, because I might get hand up a shirt, I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna <laughs> carry on through this, and it was an absolute waste. Never do it, folks. Thankfully, Homer, you know, after his barrage there, you know, the producer says, "Uh, Mr. Simpson, just trying to distract him. Why don't you get some food from the food truck?" <laughs> yeah, tell us, George. <laughs> uh, he does one of my favorite trips in the world. He leaves, leaving a dust cloud of his shape, which apparently people just think. Mr. Simpson, are you there? He waves through. through. I like that little touch. Yeah, and he just disappears, and you hear Homer <laughs> running away. Oh God, it's one of my favorite bits. There's some really good bits in this episode, and then some really weird ones. I think that's what that's what really strikes me about this episode is that there's some really really good stuff, and then stuff you just think, excuse me, what? <laughs> we have Bart now visiting the set of Radioactive Man, and you get to see Rainy Wolf Castle. You know. The- Schwarzenegger type there just going through the lungs but he can't quite get up and at him. Up and at him. Up and at them. 
Up and at him. Up and at them. Up and at him. Up and at them. Better. It really reminded me. I'm not sure if you've seen this film, but did you ever watch The Pink Panther with Steve Martin? I did, but it's very hazy. It's very much when I was 10 or 12 I watched it. Yeah, yeah, same. Uh, basically, there's a bit in that where he decides to go to America undercover, and this you know, very French man is there, and he goes to an accent coach, uh, and uh, the accent coach there is saying, I would like to buy a hamburger. And Clouseau, Steve Martin, is like, I would like to buy a hamburger. And it's a, it's a sequence that goes on for maybe five minutes, descending into gibberish. <laughs> it's just, oh, wow. it, it stuck with. It, that's another one that stuck with the family for that stuck with the family for a very long time. But it, it, it's essentially a, a, a shortened version of that bit in right here, and it, it, it just gave me a good chuckle. Bart thinks he's found the first mill house, but it's a dummy that explodes, and then I, I wished him well. I wished him well. <laughs> a bit that alarmed me first time seeing it with you know young eyes and that he's like oh there's Millhouse and obviously they're going to draw it as regular Millhouse but the van comes along and just absolutely creams him <laughs> and then he gets crushed yeah he gets crushed with the, um, the x-ray Bart comes over all concerned wait you're not Millhouse and no I'm just Millhouse when he gets hurt now do you know where this um, stuntman's before he's been featured in another episode oh god yeah he was um wasn't he? No, no, that was when I. That's that, I'm thinking of uh, during that Treehouse of Horror where he, the Leprechaun, shares a car with John McCartney, Paul McCartney, or whatever, or George Harrison, one of the Beatles. But no, where is he from? He is from um, Burns's heir. So when um, you know Bart, you know, becomes Burns's rightful heir there, or wins it at least, um, he's used with a few other actors to dupe Bart into being, you know, going into Burns's bosom and that, and he's an Estonian dwarf. Plays Lisa. Yes. Mask, and he's like, "We're getting into golden time." <laughs> oh, so nice to see him come back. Yeah, I mean, he's able to get regular work. Um, but they bring in the real Millhouse there, and you know, he's saying, "Oh, you know, it's not as fun as you think." You know, getting run over and that, and he just has to sit there for hours. But I just like the. I really enjoy. It's a shame they didn't bring him back there, but I like the director and just sort of um. You know, disregarding people's health and well-being, but you know, brilliant! Oh, lovely baby. Okay, use that broken bottle. The other one is uh, Millhouse asks if the extra are these actual X-rays. Good question. We'll check in on that. <laughs> <laughs> that really got me, uh, because uh, some directors are famous for just treating their uh, stars absolutely awfully. Wasn't Kubrick um, doing stuff like having them do thirty to fifty takes? Kubrick was like, a absolute bastard. Kubrick was a bastard. He um he royally, royally screwed over the mum from The Shining. Shamefully, I've forgotten her name. But yeah, she was... Uh, Shirley, she, was it Shirley something? Shirley something, yeah. It was... Th th she had, like, night terrors and, like, lost and gained so much weight. Hair fell out. It was awful. And, you, you know, Kubrick is held to be one of the directing greats. And he's just... He was a piece of... He, he was, slash is. I'm not sure. Is he alive? He, he, no, no. He's passed many times it was really like it, it was very light-hearted but you can tell that there's a I, I could tell there was a little bit of truth in that and uh, when we meet up with the teamsters <laughs> whatever a teamster is i assume they're like roadies roadies yeah your riggers and your grip guys and that now again this i mean the joke is what it is homer's as lazy as these guys but i guess like with you and the radioactive men bit this didn't really get a chuckle out of me bart ends up seeing millhouse you know you know off the um 
off the location in his trailer saying, wow, you know, you've got this and that, you've got everything. But Milhouse, um, you know, he, he just, he's fed up with it, you know, it's so horribly repetitive and, you know, so boring and it drags out there. I've said the words Jiminy Jokers so many times, the words have lost all meaning and the director comes through and I'm sure we've all been there before. Like Millhouse, you know, we did it. It took seven hours, but we did it. It's done. It's great line delivery there. And making movies is so horribly repetitive. I've said Jiminy Jilliker so many times, the words have lost all meaning. We've got to do the Jiminy Jilliker scene again, Millhouse. But we already did it. It took seven hours, but we did it. It's done. Yes, but we've got to do it from different angles. Again and again. And again, and again, and again. Have you been there before, George? You know, with the frustration that Millhouse is going through, you know, we did it, it took hours, but we did it, it's done. Actually, yes. I have been there before because uh, I, uh, there was a couple of situations when I was in Paris where I did uh, do a, like, uh, not part of drama as in, like, a GCSE, but I did, like, a like a, a very brief movie maker, like extracurricular kind of thing. So I've been through that kind of takes, not like oh, cool. 90 plus, but I have been through that kind of thing again. And again, when I uh, helped produce the talent show in like one of my later years, I think probably my final year, uh, we included a uh, uh, a video intro of uh, the boys, the, ho the two hosts, uh, Greg and Lucas. God, what good guys. Uh, where they were like... Uh, Oh, we're just here at home. Oh no, the talent show. So they had to run through the uh, the streets of the little suburb of Paris that we were in. So we do had to oh, cool. do this yeah, a couple of times. Cool. I got to break out my uh, uh, my Strictly Come Dancing voice for when they came on because it the the video led into them uh, approaching the sports hall, and then I would come in. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your hosts for the evening, Greg and Lucas. And uh, oh, check you out. I like that. Can you read the lottery numbers as well? <laughs> 24 brilliant. 93 yes 56 yeah, I thought it was the same guy same brilliant. guy yeah uh, not quite the same guy as there's the Michael McIntyre intros not the same guy I've, I've been there with the repeating takes and I do like that the uh, <laughs> the, dire the director again just goes yes but we need to do it from different angles again and again and again and again and again and it's like yeah yeah that checks out but it gets to a very important bit you know it's the most expensive shot in the film folks i mean we find out it's going to cost them a million dollars and hell this is just leading up to the meme george i mean hell sure, yeah this has got to be up there in good, uh, the best scenes for you hell yeah <laughs> even though i am a zoologist i do have a grounding in some chemistry and sulfuric acid does not look like that <laughs> Is it more clear then? It's like, it's crystal clear. Okay, listen up everybody. This is the hardest, most expensive scene in the movie, and we only get one shot at it, so we have to do it right. Fallout Boy will untie Radioactive Man and pull him to safety moments before he's hit with a 40-foot wall of sulfuric acid that will horribly burn everything in its path. Now, that's real acid, so I want to see goggles, people. Real acid? Okay, roll film. Tip the acid bats and action! Uh, 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 only Fallout Boy can save me now. Where's Fallout Boy? 
struggles to nothing. It very much reminded me of. Uh, have you ever seen or heard of or even been on the like the the univer the Ho Disney Hollywood Studios ride of like the stunt man where they like you're driving on the track and then you stop and then you see like this big tidal wave come down and you're kind of like in the splash zone and stuff like that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, it, it very much reminded me of that. It, it like those big set pieces that are just doomed to be destroyed. Though strangely, they use uh, it's not a set. It's it's Burns's power plant. <laughs> Yeah, they shoot. They're real on location. They're on location. And yeah, the just I think the best bit for me, apart from you know the immortal line, um, it's Rainy Wolf Castle. Just like real acid. Real acid. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> this was not in the script. <laughs> they roll film. They call action there. They get the fire going, and you know the big delivery. You know, only a lad boy can save me now. But Millhouse isn't there, and they're just panicking. They're screaming, you know, fall out, boy. And Rainier realizes, oh, I'm screwed. I'll sit the goggles on, and I'll let you do this, George. My eyes, the goggles, they do nothing. <laughs> and he gets some, he gets sort of plowed into his own trailer, and then the acid dissolves his clothes off his. And he gives a little sigh of relief after it's like, oh, that was over. <laughs> Question Why didn't they check whether Millhouse was on set? That's like the first thing you do, check where everyone is, make sure that people are at their marks. Like, maybe the director got carried away with the big shot of the scene. Uh, maybe uh, Krusty was again, um, I want to speak with the director about this coffee. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I keep forgetting about that bit. It's like the great, um, you know, that's the great issue. We've pissed away this money. The side character's not there, but coffee's, no, I want to talk about this coffee. <laughs> It's such a trivial matter. It's very crusty. It's very crusty. That's the issue for folks now. Millhouse is seen running away from, you know, his problems and running away from the set. And that's how we end Act 2. And as we go into Act 3, you know, the whole of Springfield's looking for him. Because he's got an $8 million bounty on his head there. But, you know... The newspapers are spinning various news from Variety and the Springfield magazine. And then the the greatest, the most important headline, uh, spinning newspaper jams printer. <laughs> Yes, I was waiting for that because they're always good at the old spinning newspaper gags. That was a brilliant one. Thankfully, George, um, I did enjoy that because one. of you know the marvel of modern editing. You know they can make the film even without Millhouse. Thanks to modern editing techniques, we can use existing footage to complete the film without Millhouse. <laughs> Watch. Looks like we're in trouble, Fallout Boy. Jiminy Jellicker's radioactive man. We'll have to fight our way out. Are you ready? Yes. Seamless, huh? You're fired. And with good cause. <laughs> uh, also known as the uh, Marvel Studios method of creating films. Ah, they're quite guilty for this. It's, it's like, especially in, like, recent times, Far From Home is a bit better. But, uh, even though I'm not particularly fond of that film either, uh, but Marvel has a habit of essentially bringing uh, actors onto location without telling them what it's about, what they're performing, what the direction is. They just say, do this line, do this. And then they're like, okay. And then they get a paycheck a bit later. And it, it's such a disingenuous way of doing filmmaking. It's, it's really sad. Because A, the actors can't really discuss what their clips, discuss their pay. 
and B, that's why it feels super disjointed in a lot of Marvel scenes. And here's a little a little side thing. If you're ever watching, especially in the recent times, if you're watching a Marvel film and the background is entirely kind of blurry, that's on a, that's on a stage. That's not that's not in green screen. It's not on location. Well, I noticed a lot of that with um, Guardians 2 there. Like, I mean, all through Twitter and that, you get to see those awkward photos, you know, of um, Kristen Stewart robbing, you know, uh, Taylor Lautner's hair and, you know, blue suit and that. But it's just weird seeing, like, knowing Dave Bautista's just not really petting Rocket Raccoon. It sort of takes you out of it. So, yeah, I have seen the old soundstage set up and that. Guardians is, it's acceptable because it's space. It's a sci-fi. It's a crazy romp through kind of these fantastic environments. I think what some of the biggest offenders is in Captain America Civil War. A lot of that was not location. And a lot of that was, and it's a big problem I have as well, is that a lot of the suits and a lot of the costumes are CGI especially with Iron Man and Spider-Man, which I'm fine, but essentially do it like Iron Man 1 does it, where they have a lot of practical pieces and then you just touch up the CGI. But it's fine, you know, they'll find Millhouse because Chief Clancy Wiggum's on the case and this, folks, this is my favourite scene of this whole episode. Go! Okay, we can now stop worrying now. These dogs never fail. But will they just find Millhouse, or will they find him and kill him? Well, they'll... When they find him, they'll, um... They'll... Excuse me, you didn't answer me. You just trailed off. Yeah. Yeah, I did kind of trail off there, didn't I? Just the adamant... So Just Wiggum so adamant, you know, oh, the dogs will find him, and Kirk raising a good question, you know, Oh, will they find him or will they find him and kill him? Well, they'll, um, uh, and he just trails off. I love the little look as well. Like, he just looks up, like, if I don't say anything, just look away. They won't question it. Oh, no, they've questioned it. Oh, he just trailed off there. Oh, I did, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does he still doesn't respond. Like, especially Awful. since uh, these dogs are some of the most vicious looking motherfuckers I've ever seen in oh, The yeah. Simpsons. Like, they are evil. Like, they're worse than the hounds. But, you know, he'll find Millhouse, you know. We'll just check his old haunt. So he goes to, you know, your model car and raceway centre there. And you get to see, you know, um, comic book guy and Otto, you know, racing around for the championship of the universe. Otto gets a sick kick out of seeing himself get destroyed or seeing the bus get destroyed. We also get to see... They must have had this character design way back in the vault and we're finding like a perfect time to illustrate it. I love this guy. I love this guy. What a kook. (laughs) Is he Dr. Spirograph? Because he's just referred to as Dr. S. I also assumed his name was Dr. Spirograph. Yeah, you'd think so. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he's impossible. I like the wild purple hair and that. And, you know, it's just like these conspiracy theorists with the red tape and it's all Spirographs and drawings there. And there's an obvious link, you know, between... The decline in spirographs, you know, gang activity. Think about it. I will. No, you won't. <laughs> no, you so won't. so confused there. And then the final place. Surely it's going to be in Bart's treehouse there. And yeah, like you say, it's a real logic breaker. You like your logic breakers, George. What, <laughs> what happens when Bart looks around? He, I, I counted them. I actually scrolled back and I counted them. He goes into the treehouse. He looks in one corner. Number one. Number two. <laughs> Number three, number four, 
number five, and then on number six in the four ah. corners, in the four corner treehouse, he finds him. And there's, <laughs> if we accept the fact, if we don't accept it's a logic breaker, that must mean that Millhouse is like, <laughs> like shadow stepping, Dragon Ball Z style, just behind part whenever he looks oh, yeah. the other way. And I'm not sure which is funnier. <laughs> Milhouse is adamant, you know, I don't want this life, I absolutely hate it, you know, I'm not going back there, but Bart's saying, you know, this is, you know, every American boy's dream, and Milhouse, you know, he makes a fair point, the real heroes are out there, you know, curing disease and fighting world hunger, but Bart's very, you know, he's very, you know, he's only about skin deep in that, you know, he's all about, you know, and it's entertainment, those, you know, suckers, they're all doing that good stuff, whereas if you want your results, you got to go to the Schwarzeneggers, you know, the Stallones and to a lesser extent the Van Dams. That was that was a weird bit. I don't quite know what was going on there. <laughs> no, I think it's just um Is that the first you know, reference to Schwarzenegger we've ever had in The Simpsons? Beyond the uh, Simpsons is. movie? Yeah, legitimate. Yeah, I think I believe it is, you're right. So we have um we have our guest star drop in there, George. We have Mickey Rooney and Who the fuck God, is I'm... Mickey Rooney? <laughs> ah, well, I'm glad you asked, because I'll happily tell you. Regale He's had a, well, his career lasted just over nine decades and that. Um, surprisingly, he worked with a lot of the top um, female stars of golden era Hollywood. You're talking Judy Garland, Bette Davis, um, Audrey Hepburn and that. Um, he was one of the few um, surviving members of, you know, the silent era of film as well. But, so, um, so this is a guy. This is a, this is a, a person of import. <laughs> Yeah, just a Hollywood great. He, he and he had a like resurgence in the eighties and nineties. I remember him from Night at the Museum, and yeah, he's a true legend. Who was he in Night at the Museum? Yeah, he's one of the um, you know the not the janitors. He's one of the night watchmen. Oh, the other security guards. <laughs> yeah, he's the very small, bold man. Oh, that is him. Yeah, there's a big old Hollywood theme running through this episode. Because you have the little rascals at the beginning, uh, and then uh, they mention kind of Adam West, well, Adam West esque. There's kind of a, an old Hollywood era back then, and then they also we didn't touch on it, but when uh, the director was talking to um, Melhouse about why they need to do things again and again and again and again, is that he says uh, you can be the next Gabby Hale, and again I was like, who the hell is Gabby Hale? And so I looked into it, and he's just like another Hollywood great. And it's, it was, it's been very interesting, this kind of... Because obviously, as someone who was not born in the US and not raised in kind of US Hollywood old-style culture, despite, I, I think, my dad's best efforts, it's a very weird kind of hit-and-miss episode for this. And with the history of Mickey Rooney, Mickey Rooney has shown up to um, coerce Milhouse into getting back and finishing the film there. And, um, wait, how did he find out, though? They are capture of Treehouse phone. That was that was a weird because that, that it gave me a light chuckle, but then I was just like, "That's kind of weird." I don't know quite why it just didn't. I think it was another one where I was like, "I get the gag, it's just not working for me." And Mickey hitting him with some real facts. You know, it's not hollow. You know, the only thing that's hollow is the music industry, and you know, the important thing is, you know, it's the, you know, the production side of it, and you know, the foreign markets, which has never been so important as it is right now. I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, oh, what was that? Um. It might have been called Warcraft, or I don't know. What was that? It might have been something like Warcraft or Warhammer. 
It bombed in uh, Western audiences, but it made a killing in China. It was like 2016. So Mickey's right in that uh, yeah, fact. It was probably Warcraft, but th- there's, a, there's this kind of bitterness. I, there's this like undertone of bitterness, I think, because there is a lot of concern with like the foreign market, especially the Chinese film industry, uh, especially because there's a lot that can't be produced or that can't be shown. And the... Uh, the film industry does take it as an excuse to not show certain things like uh, LGBTQ plus stuff uh, and ah, all kinds of kind of right. that kind of thing. So there's a kind of there's, there's a it kind of left a kind of bad taste in my mouth. But you know, another thing that's banned from films in China is also Brad Pitt, and you don't see uh, Hollywood films not including Brad Pitt now, do we? Now, why is that? I don't know. <laughs> it's never something I was able to track down. Uh, like it, it's, I'm guessing he said something or did something where he's, like, kind of blanket banned from China. Mm. I think in a similar vein to like any kind of reference to Winnie the Pooh in reference to Xi Jinping is also banned because it's used as a, a mocking thing for him. But if not for the you know the foreign markets, then you know you got to do it for him, the mixer. But no, Millhouse is adamant. But. Yeah, oh. respect. I like that Milhouse <laughs> just went, no. Very well. So Mickey looks over at the bar and he goes, oh, well, I think we can do our forward boy right here and puts his arm round him. Little we know, tussle of the hair and that. And Bart, he's got that glint in his eye again. But who do we see in the fallout boy costume, George? Mickey fucking Rooney. <laughs> Jiminy Jellicers. And, oh, I love it. A bit of behind the scenes stuff as well when it was uh, came to recording this. Especially, like, I believe it's on the commentary track for this. Um, all the voice actors loved Mickey Rooney, and he was just completely energised, even though it took him, like, you know, several hours and that to get all the intonations down and to maybe switch the dialogue. Maybe this isn't working. They said he was full of pep, and he recorded with the actors, and he was an absolute hoot. And he really enjoyed it because he got his great-grandkids to watch it as well, so... What yeah? What a lovely behind the scenes there, and I really like Mickey Rooney. He's just got a natural sort of. Well, he is an old man. He's got that natural scenery delivery as well. I hate to bring down the mood. Oh no! But uh, he is dead. Uh, oh yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Was it like the latest stage of his life? I've just quickly looked it up right now. Is that he was in a major like legal dispute of being poorly treated by his kids, like in his, in his later life. Oh no. <laughs> Isn't, isn't wait, that the big thing? Wait, kid, on, let me just... wait kids gra- or grandkids? Because if I it's like both, a son's... frankly. Oh, no. Hang Damn on, it, George. Why this. did you have to look this up? Damn it. I just skimmed to his filmography and then... I knew he went through, like, multiple divorces and he had money troubles, but... Oh, no. Not, oh, yeah. Not the kids. <laughs> Finally, for me... The mixture. No! All right, I tried. Fortunately, we have a perfectly good fallout boy right here. Jiminy Jellickers! Jiminy Jellickers! Jiminy Jellickers! We're shutting down production. Yeah, well, we only have $1,000 left anyway. Oh, there's a $1,000 leaving town tax. So we have him go, Jiminy Jellickers, and the producer and director think, right, fuck this, we've lost all our money, we've only got $1,000. Quimby just nips in, he's got to get every last cent, you know, there's a... Uh, thousand dollar leaving tax and that's them all the money's gone they're off but but we have mickey rooney salt of the earth the best guy in hollywood giving them the 
you know, the moral tone off, George. Something about it, just knowing what I know about kind of the history of Los Angeles and what I know from uh, various individuals who, uh, creators I follow who live in Los Angeles, like calling them <laughs> like these beautiful city boys with their full hearts and their... <laughs> yeah. And their wide, bright ideals. They don't care about the money. They just care about the art. I'm just like, oof. <laughs> yeah. If that was the case in 1990s, it is not the case now. Yeah. It's, I think it's very tongue-in-cheek, but just like his delivery on, they just wanted to tell a story about a radioactive man. <laughs> like, you know, you the know same what? as like an underdog. I would love that film. Mickey Rooney shames him there, but they can't give him the money back, so it's pointless. But we have... Um, we forgot to mention, Mickey Rooney arrived on a helicopter, so he gets his um, pilot to drop by and he goes, Oh, quick, Mr. Rooney, there's a disenchanted girl in a Jell-O commercial. <gasps> I could play that. He's wanting to get that divorce money back, and he hops that on his got way. Me. That did get me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a right uh, huckster, is Mr. Rooney, and he's off. <laughs> and then they return to the wonderful town that is Los Angeles. <laughs> yes, um... What is this gentleman an artist or who is he? He's I don't give... know. I don't know what this guy's deal was. He's like a love and supportive parent, though. You know, take what you need, and you know enough what to get back on your feet. What was that dude's accent? Was it Canadian? I want to was say it it's Quebec, Central. I want to say it's Central European because it sounds a bit Austrian. <laughs> but I couldn't tell you with good confidence. But thank God they're in back in the loving city of Los Angeles, and we end with um, recently passed. Uh, Bill Withers, who's no longer Withers with a bit of Lean On Me. And that is how we end our episode, folks. Um, as we sign off, um, George, I'd like your um, final thoughts on this, what you liked, what you didn't like. And um, we do a rating here. Usually it's, you know, a three out of five and then something, a little, a little symbol from the episode. So whether it's three out of five uh, goggles or real acids, um, please go ahead. Well, I think... Again, like I've said, it's 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 pretty hot and cold. Uh, like some stuff, some of the bits and some of the gags are like really good, but then because I don't have kind of the background required for some of the gags, I don't. They, they just didn't land, or even some of the gags were just kind of weirdly slash poorly timed. Uh, I would probably give this uh, a solid uh, Sungwon Cho uh, uh, three point five out of five uh, agains. That's what I would do. And again and again and again, I see what you did there. Lovely. Okay. <laughs> Right. Um, Technically, I think that would be again and again and again and again. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, well, you're well ahead of me there. You're well ahead of me. <laughs> I like that. Uh, for myself, um, I do like a lot of the episode. I'd probably say, I mean, I'm sure if I rewatch it again, I'll pick more stuff up, but I only know a couple, a few gags that didn't really hit with me, but I like the portrayal of Hollywood. I like how they flip on his head as, you know, these... You know, these innocent, naive, bushy-eyed, you know, Hollywood types just want to make a film. They don't care about the money, folks. But I like the portrayal of Hollywood. I like Millhouse, He Shines. I like seeing, you know, Bart with a passion, even though he gets his dreams crushed, he's still happy there. I mean, Wiggum, he's got my favourite line in the episode. He's a secret little MVP for me. So with that being said, I'd happily give this a... You know what, I'm going... I'm going to mirror that. I'm going to mirror what you um, gave, George. I'm going to go three and a half out of five um, lazy teamsters. 
get ready to grift, scam and hoodwink, beg, borrow and steal, because we're going to season 12 with the great money caper. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five star written review on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Uncle Mo's Family Feedback Podcast, and the same on Twitter as well, at TileTMC, or search Uncle Mo's Family Feedback Podcast. Take care, folks. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good.